biblical counseling and secular psychology. They haven't always been the best of friends. That's putting it mildly. And that makes sense if you think about it. The biblical counseling movement was founded in large part as a reaction to the church giving up on pastoral care, or at least a depth of pastoral care. And so as a movement, the biblical counseling world has tended to be known for the ways that we've critiqued secular psychologists. We've pointed to how the fact that it's operating out of a non-Christian worldview has massive influence on all of the things that it concludes and even the things that it observes. I think we do have real and fundamental points of disagreement, and I'm glad for us to have highlighted that, and I think that that has been an important service. However, biblical counselors have always maintained that there is much we can learn from secular psychology. We just haven't always talked very much about it. So what I'd like to do, and today's episode being the first one, is start a series of podcasts I'm calling The Best of Psychology, where we think about what we as biblical counselors have learned, even where we may have changed and modified what is going on in psychology, seeing how it serves us and what we can do with it. So please join us for what I hope will be the first episode in this series as I talk with Mike Emlett about his sense of what has been most helpful to him from secular psychology. to CCEF On The Go, a podcast of the Christian Counseling and Educational Foundation. Here at CCEF, we are committed to restoring Christ to counseling and counseling to the church. You can find our podcasts, books, articles, videos, and more resources for Christ-centered pastoral care at our website, ccef.org. Mike, thanks for joining me today to talk a little bit about psychology and uh, and what we have learned. So I I think it actually might be helpful for you to start with just a word or two about uh, your background uh, as a doctor. I don't actually know what kind of uh, psychological or psychiatric training you had, but we just quickly fill us in on kind of what your relationship to psychology has been, and then say a little bit about what you found most helpful. Sure. Um, so my, my training was in was in medicine and specifically family medicine. So no specific psychological training, although as part of our residency training in family medicine, we had to do several months of of a behavioral medicine uh, rotation. So we would okay. it would be was counseling and observing uh, counseling, and um, but and we had. To do psychiatric rotations as part of uh, as part of our training, both in uh, well, mainly in medical school. Uh-huh. So that was that was the extent, if you will, of my my training within within medicine. Okay. Um, and then you know at later came to to Westminster um, for my Masters of Divinity and came uh, <laughs> because of CCF as came over uh, to the dark side. The, yeah, part of the uh, reason for coming. That's and, right. Uh, then okay. Came on. Will you say one more word too about as a as a GP? Did you find yourself doing a lot of prescribing or asking to be prescribed psychopharmaceuticals? Or yes, a fair bit. Um, just because the the place where we were yeah. uh, in South Carolina was rural South Carolina. Um, there there was not a whole lot of mental health uh, providers huh. there, so there wasn't any psychiatrist that I was aware of in our in our county or in our community that huh. uh, that I could 
that I could refer to. I mean, there was a there was a more of a regional medical center, probably about 45 minutes away, that would would be the would be the nearest, in a sense, acute you know yeah. behavioral health uh, intervention. But so I yeah I did find myself doing um, you know a decent amount of prescribing of antidepressants in, in particular sure. and some anti-anxiety uh, medications. Um, found myself doing a lot of counseling, at least more informally, hmm. um, which actually factored into some of my, because I enjoyed that, but didn't hmm. feel, I felt like I needed more more training in that as well. Hmm. I mean, I remember one of the times that I, one of the few times I did marriage counseling, I felt like a spectator at Wimbledon on the, <laughs> on the right on the net line, back That's and right. forth and back and forth. What do I do? And what do I do? Um, so that that's kind of huh. how... So, you know, probably didn't do a lot of reading within psychology per se, um, but tried to keep current in terms of what treatments were out there from a from a psychiatric point of view. Okay. So, you get you you get this career change going. You get a master of divinity emphasis counseling. You you end up as a biblical counselor. Um, what what have you found as you've interacted with with psychology, the psychologies, uh, psychiatry over the last, you know, many years, uh, as you've been thinking about this specifically from the lens of, of having had training as a biblical counselor, where, where have you found psychology most most helpful? What do you feel like it's it's given you most that's that's benefited your ministry? I think probably one of the most beneficial aspects would be the the focused experience of a psychologist in with particular with particular issues so someone that has worked almost exclusively with i don't know panic disorder or ocd mm-hmm. or uh, trauma or post traumatic uh, stress they have a lot of experience, uh, a lot of um, years of working with with people who have struggled in very focal ways. So I think that's one of the places where I've benefited is simply here's a here's a here's one person or a group of people that have focused experience. What what can I gain from that mm-hmm. in terms of what their observations have been after working with uh, with people uh, for so many years? So I think that's one uh, one thing in particular that I've that I've gained. Hmm. Um, maybe give an example of that uh, with with regard to with regard to OCD. So I see a fair number of folks um, who have struggled in that way, whether it's um, if you will more general forms of of OCD or some that are more specifically oriented toward the. The um, the spiritual or religious uh, what sure. what yep. might be called scrupulosity, but one of the things that uh, that I found very helpful was in reading some of the literature on cognitive behavioral uh, therapy for uh, for OCD, and in particular, one of the things that one of the things that I read that was helpful is here are, here are six general ways. Uh, that people think with re- in, in the struggle with, with OCD. Uh, so for example, I mean, they're, called, um, they're called belief domains. And things like inflated responsibility, or 
um, over importance of my thoughts. So just because mm -hmm. I have a thought, it, it's got to be important or overestimation of threat, uh, the importance of controlling my thoughts, the, the importance of being absolutely certain and the intolerance mm -hmm. of uncertainty. And in sixthly, uh, perfectionism. Mm -hmm. So on the one hand, you could say, well, if I've sat with people long enough and enough people, mm -hmm. Hopefully, my own thinking would coalesce into those into those categories. Try to observe the same kinds right. of here are these here are mm -hmm. these patterns. So it was it was helpful for me in the early years of counseling when I was starting to see more people with OCD to to have before me. Oh, these are the patterns I ought to look for. So that was that was very helpful. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, I think one of the things that was really important to realize is that literature could only go so far in terms of a, what do I do with those with those belief domains? Sure. You know, from a from a cognitive standpoint, that's helpful. But aren't our aren't our thoughts indicators in a mm -hmm. sense of our of our relationship uh, to to the Lord? There's a at least there's a moral aspect, a moral mm -hmm. direction covenantal direction to our to our thinking so that what it did was allow me to have then a bit of a launching pad hmm. to think all right so if someone is struggling with um, with a super inflated responsibility they believe that they they have to be in control of this uh, of this particular environment or setting, or and else if they bad fail, things are going to happen. It's all over. It's That's up right. to them. It's yeah. What does that say about their view of God mm. and their view of themselves? Mm. That I think is where the money's at in terms of being able to then more uh, deeply walk with someone in the midst of that in the midst of that mm. struggle. Mm. So. I found it. I found the psychological literature helpful in terms of identifying yeah. these patterns, and but yet I think, but those patterns. How how do we understand them as image bearers before the Lord? Mm -hmm. That was then I think the step that uh, I, as a biblical counselor, needed to needed to take and wrestle with. Hmm. Mike, I don't want to turn this into an entire podcast on on OCD. There's other spaces for that, but. Um, let me let me see if I'm tracking with the way you're you're expressing the help of of using the observations from psychology. Okay, I read this book, read several things. These six things they're identifying gave me, uh, as you call it, a launching pad, something to start with, and it dramatically reduces the amount of time it takes me to get my hands around what is somebody even feeling like inside mm -hmm. their world as they they deal with this. So, inflated responsibility. You would take a category like that and say, okay. Regardless of how the, the literature may or may not be presenting it, I, I don't see that as a neutral category that's sort of out there. Well, this is just someone's experience. It's that, yeah. that there's, a, there's an underlying moral nature that we all have as humans that the scriptures mm -hmm. very, very clearly portray at every page. And what I'm trying to understand is what, what does the sense of inflated responsibility mean for us as moral creatures, as people who live before a God who... Says some things are good and some are bad. Some are right, some are wrong. Some are lovely and some are, mm -hmm. are hideous. And so, inflated responsibility, for example, um, you would you would take that in a direction like um, here is someone who who looks at their own 
world and the things that, that matter to them and the things that they may even have as responsibilities on their plate, but come away almost with a sense of, I need to be the Messiah. I need mm -hmm. to be God. I, yeah. If I do not, then things fail. And there's, right. there's a functional theology that says, God cannot be trusted to keep safe the things I most treasure. Am I in the ballpark? Absolutely. No, that's exactly what I'm, what I'm thinking about. That for each of those, each of those categories, it says something about the way I, I view God, as you say, my, my functional theology, mm -hmm. and the way I view myself. I mean, those two obviously go hand in hand. Um, if God can't be trusted, if he's not trustworthy to right. handle my world, then I better, get I the better ball. do it. Yeah, yeah, I better do it. So those, those are mirror you know, or mm. images of one another in one sense. Hmm. Hmm. Maybe this is an overgeneralization. Would you say in general that um, what you have found most helpful in psychology is, I'm trying to find the right, I mean, observations is the word I've heard us you know, use around mm -hmm. here. And, and is it fair to say that it's observations in the sense of people perceiving patterns, people connecting dots, people saying, you know, I've talked to people, and it seems like a lot of people who feel X also deal with Y. It's a lot of people who, um, who are hurting this way are also hurting this way. People who find this really hard or this really confusing tend to then struggle with these kinds of behaviors. It's, it's recognizing patterns in this mm -hmm. massive, messy thing we call human life. Mm -hmm. and, and from that, you come as a biblical counselor and try to say, okay, how do I, how do I bring a... a a biblical lens to these conclusions because it's not just raw data it's right. being interpreted yes but the interpretation is even where i may disagree the interpretation is really helpful because it allows me in a sense to have access to um hundreds possibly thousands of people i'll never actually meet mm -hmm. and yet if a psychologist is doing a good job of really listening and they really are seeking to understand and they're they really want to know why is this going wrong with these people? How can they be helped? Uh, then they're going to come away with some helpful observations that tell us, here's some places to start. This is an mm -hmm. important thing to bring to the scriptures. Right. Here's some core issues to bring to the scriptures. I'm sort of thinking this out loud, but yes. th does this resonate? Yes, it does. And I think, and, and I would add to that and say, there are also places where, where I think psychology helps us in in methodology as well. So we were talking uh -huh. about the observational yep. piece, but again, let's stick with stick with OCD, even though sure. this is not a podcast on OCD. Um, Can I sign you up for 10 of those? Sure. Okay, uh, um, but for example, one of, the, one of the chief methodologies in a cognitive behavioral approach to OCD is exposure and response prevention, where people are gradually exposed to situations that, that cause anxiety, that raise these, these fears associated with one yeah. or more of these yeah. areas, and then... Touch the door handle that you're afraid has germs on it, that kind of thing? Yes. Um, and, and then refrain from doing the, the ritual, in, which might be hand washing Wash my hands in, that, or whatever. in that situation. Yeah. And the longer you sit with that anxiety and not, you know, and not jump into uh -huh. that ritual, the better, your, the better your anxiety. It starts, to, it starts to dissipate and it starts to, in a sense, 
train you that I okay I can touch this and and something bad isn't isn't going to isn't going to happen. Yep. Now that I that is well established uh-huh. in the in the in the research that people who are struggling with with OCD gain benefit from that from that kind of approach. But what I would say is that is a that is a piece. I I I, I want people to engage with God in in the midst of that because ultimately who am I trusting? You know, what is the basis of my trust that it'll be okay if I touch that doorknob, which is not the same thing as saying I'll never get sick. Right. If I right. if I touch if I touch that doorknob and because I, I live in God's world. And so ultimately I want to yoke that methodology with with a with a worldview that actually fills that methodology out the way it ought to be filled out. Um, because no methodology is is neutral, right? And right. and so right. I can't in yeah. one sense I can't just abstract or extract that methodology yeah. uh, from um, from a secular psychology office and and use it because I, it it I, I want that to be critiqued and changed and absorbed uh, into into a biblical worldview. Yeah, but it. It gave me again. It gave me some direction, if you yeah. will. Like, okay, this this overall approach shown to be helpful. Now, if it's shown to be helpful, why is that? Well, because the psychologists live in God's world, right. um, yeah. and, and so I, th- right. that's sort of like that. They're in that sense, they're going with the grain of the universe, and so. Yeah. But with a very, you know, humanistic, perhaps, or secular worldview. Sure. I'm just thinking out loud again here. What, what I think I'm, I'm again, I'm, I'm trying to move towards the bigger picture from the from the example. But it seems like you're saying, okay, I, I came to, for example, the methodology of, okay, so expose yourself to the thing you're afraid of, and um, because the nature of your fears that you're afraid of things that are you know pretty unlikely to happen, and you know there's sort of this overinflated sense of responsibility, or this you know I uh, I have far too high uh, fear of the power of germs on a door handle, for example, than is actually accurate to the numbers on how many people get sick from from germs on a door handle, and so on and so forth. Um, and so the secular approach says essentially, okay, well let's confront your fears with reality, and that mm-hmm. reality impact is going to over time reduce your anxiety. And so as we even just talk about what is, a, even when you say the research demonstrates this is helpful, uh, perhaps a, a more specific way of saying this, the research demonstrates people end up feeling less anxious. That's correct. And what you're raising is a sense of, okay, that anything that has this massive sort of weight of, people have seen this over and over and over again, that here's, when you do this, for people struggling this way, they tend to get less anxious, um, which as a general rule, we want to say is a good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you're saying, I want to understand what's going on there. The, that is happening in God's world. They're right. observing something here, and I want to understand biblically why is that happening. And and I want to understand how can I uh, not yeah not simply say, okay, well, then I'm going to do exposure therapy, but, but how can I understand what is actually driving that experience for people and what should be driving the experience for people? And I, I hear you again, immediately coming back to, okay, this is not actually, my goal here is not precisely to make people 
um, less afraid of being sick. It's to make them more able to rest in the Lord who, who can and will protect them whether they get sick or not. Yes, I think that's a, a great way to say that because we, we can't promise. Uh, right. We can't promise that. But what, what we can, I think, help people do is entrust themselves uh, to the Lord. Um, yeah. And who is this God? And how do they engage with him in the midst of their, in the midst of their fear? So it's not just, I live in my little universe and I'm duking it out kind of with my thoughts in this, in this moment. Right. Right. And wow, I won the battle this time. Um, and I feel better. That I'm glad for that. Right. But I, I want that person to engage the living God in that moment. Mm. Well, Mike, that's very helpful. Thank you for coming in and for talking. Glad to be here. Thank you. If you're interested in thinking more about the intersection of secular psychology and biblical counseling, you might find an article that Mike Emlett wrote called What's in a Name Helpful. If you go to ccef.org slash podcast, you'll find a copy of it there, which you can download for free this week and you'll enter the coupon code PODCAST. Thanks again for listening. Blessings. Blessings.